from chapter 2. And so you may go ahead and open your Bibles there if you would like. Matthew chapter 2 is scene 4 in this story of Christmas. And last Sunday, Colleen shared with us scene 1, the announcement of the coming Christ child. Then on Christmas, we experienced scene 2, the birth of Jesus. On January 6th, we experienced scene 3, Epiphany and the coming of the Magi. So this morning, we actually skip ahead to scene four and the flight of the Holy Family into Egypt. And since we move past the story of Epiphany today, we need a little bit of background on scene three. After Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph settled in Bethlehem. They had a new baby and perhaps a 70-mile journey with a newborn back to a small town with many prying eyes and judging mouths didn't seem quite so appealing. So they set up a home in a house in Bethlehem. After a couple of years, a group of magi arrived from the east to bring gifts and worship the child Jesus. They go to the palace. It's a logical place to go look for a new king. And they meet Herod. Herod inquires of the chief priests and the teachers of the law where the Messiah was to be born. And they respond that the child will be born in Bethlehem. So Herod sends the Magi to Bethlehem, telling them to look for the child and then come back and tell him where they have found him. After the Magi go, they find Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. They worship the child and give him their gifts. As they prepare to depart, God warns them in a dream not to go back to Herod, and so they go back home another way. And this is where we pick up the story this morning. So Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Sorry, I should be following here. <laughs> so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. 
Let us pray. Lord Jesus, in this season of Christmas, we celebrate your coming into the world. And we remember how you changed everything. So this morning, open our ears to how you're asking us to participate in your story. We are listening, Lord. Amen. So last week, Colleen reminded us that in scene one, when Mary and Joseph both encountered an angel of the Lord, they both said yes to what God was asking them to do, to be the mother and the earthly father of Jesus. It's not a small question or a small task, but Colleen also reminded us that Joseph and Mary didn't get to see the future. They just acted in obedience, and this obedience put them center stage in a story that was so much bigger than them. It is God's story. Now we're in scene four, and Joseph and Mary have additional opportunities to respond to God's call in obedience or to make a different choice. There will be those in the story who are faithful when God gives them opportunities. There will be others who are unfaithful when the opportunity arises, and still others who won't actually recognize that the opportunity is even before them. We don't know ahead of time how we will respond, so we simply set out seeking to faithfully follow one step at a time as God presents the opportunity. Let's begin by looking at the people who respond faithfully to God's call to share in his work. We've already seen several in this story, Zechariah and Elizabeth, with the coming of John the Baptist, the shepherds responding to the angels on Christmas night, and the Magi. It's actually the faithfulness of the Magi in response to God that gets us to our story this morning, where Jesus and his family need to flee. The Magi were watching and waiting. They were prepared through years of practice watching the stars, years of listening to hear God's voice. So when a new star appeared in the sky, the Magi recognized that God was doing something, and they set off to find this newborn king. After the Magi find Jesus and they worship him, God warns them in a dream not to return to Herod, and they have a choice. Do they seek the approval of the king who's ruling who's commanded them to return to him? Or do they obey, obey the message that they've heard in the dream? Their long practice of listening for God to speak allows them to hear, and they return home without going back to see Herod. So while the Magi are really seen three in the story, they provide us with our first model, with the practice of watching, waiting, and listening. They were prepared, are we? Do we take time to practice listening for God to speak? Do we recognize his voice when we hear it or have we allowed other things, other tasks, our busyness, events, technology, any, nether, other, any number of other items to drown out the voice of God? And then we see our faithful participants in scene four. Joseph and Mary, they're not fancy people. 
They're living in a small house in Bethlehem. They're not noticeable or really special in any way, but they are righteous. They're people who are living in a way that is consistent with what they know to be true about God. And they've gotten themselves into the middle of a story that they didn't really anticipate and to which they don't know the end. Have you ever gotten yourself into the middle of a journey that you weren't sure how it was going to turn out? Maybe a real literal geographical journey or maybe just a journey through life that has twists and turns that take you to unexpected places. I've been there and you don't know what comes next. You don't know how to travel that road and you don't know where you will end up. All you know is that you have enough light for this moment, enough light to see the path where you're standing, and you have to trust God that when you get to that next curve in the road, that he'll give you the light to see around it, and he'll give you what you need to act in that place. As I thought of Mary and Joseph and these kinds of journeys through life, I kept thinking of J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and the journey of Frodo and Middle-earth to fight against evil. In one scene, the council has gathered and they're having to determine what to do to fight evil. Frodo has volunteered to take the ring to be destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom. And the company of the free world has been chosen to go with him. As the fellowship prepares to set off on their quest, Elrond, the leader of the elves, gives them this charge. The ring bearer is setting out on the quest of Mount Doom. On him alone is any charge laid, neither to cast away the ring nor to deliver it to any servant of the enemy, nor indeed to let any handle it, save members of the company and the council, and only then in gravest need. The others go with him as free companions to help him on his way. You may tarry or come back or turn aside into other paths as chance allows. The further you go, the less easy it will be to withdraw. Yet no oath or bond is laid on you to go further than you will. For you do not yet know the strength of your hearts and you cannot foresee what each may meet upon the road. Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens, says Gimli. Maybe, says Elrond but let him not vow to walk in the dark who has not seen the night fall. Mary and Joseph find themselves in much the same situation as the fellowship in Tolkien's story. They have said yes to God's initial call. They have become the parents of Jesus. Mary has carried God in her body for a long night, nine long months, and they have made the trip to Bethlehem where Jesus is born. Joseph has chosen to marry Mary anyway, and God has come. This is God's quest. Jesus is the one who brings redemption for his people. Jesus is the one who brings healing, and it is on Jesus whom the story rests and whom God's work depends. And Mary and Joseph are like the fellowship. They're walking with Jesus on his journey as he carries out his work. And now, in the light of Herod's anger, the road is starting to darken. 
And Joseph and Mary must decide if they keep walking the hard road that God has set before them. Herod is seeking to kill the child. We'll get back to Herod in a moment. But God sends another angel to Joseph. Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. And Joseph does, in the middle of the night. He responds with the same obedience as he responded to the angel in scene one. While the king is looking for the child, they flee under darkness, Mary and Joseph and, G and Jesus, to Egypt. They leave their second home in Bethlehem for a new country and a new culture, and they learn to survive and live in their adopted land. And do you notice that Mary doesn't protest? She doesn't question Joseph's obedience. She trusts that the God who spoke to them both earlier is speaking again and is protecting them. She trusts Joseph to know when God is speaking to him and to guide well and to listen and obey. So most Joseph and Mary continue to live out their role in God's redeeming work, and we learn faithfulness and obedience from their continued response to the Lord. When we hear God's voice, do we respond immediately like Joseph did in the middle of the night, or do we wait? Do we hope that it might be more convenient to follow God and obey him in just a little while? If Joseph had waited, the story might be different. Do we hold on tightly to things, places, our lives, things that are familiar? Or do we act in a way that is willing to set aside whatever needs to be released in order to follow what God is calling us to do? Our second lesson this morning comes from the response of the unfaithful. While Joseph and Mary understand that they are part of God's story and that they get to participate in God's work, we see Herod stand in complete contrast. When he is informed that the Messiah, the one whom Israel has been waiting to see, has been born, Herod responds with fear, with anger, and with destruction. Herod is afraid of another king. This new baby might result in the loss of Herod's power, never mind that Herod is only ruling because God has consented to let him rule, and that God can actually remove him from this throne at any point that God so desires. Herod has learned to value power and status over God. So he decides to use the Magi to get information to try to stop God's story from unfolding. When the Magi refuse to submit to Herod's plans, he is outraged. In his rejection of God's work, Herod perpetuates this evil by killing all of the male children in and around Bethlehem, two years old and younger, in the further attempt to destroy Jesus. Herod doesn't realize that God is bigger than he is and that he cannot stop God's story from unfolding. In fact, God ends up using Herod, even in his disobedience, to fulfill God's own prophecies. Jesus is called out of Egypt because he has to flee there as a result of Herod's unfaithfulness. He's raised in Nazareth 
because Herod ruled in Judea. God's work encapsulates all of us, whether we really want it to or not. So from Herod, we learn to ask, am I accepting or rejecting my place in God's work? And have I learned to value other things more highly than God so that I would reject God in order to keep those things? God has brought me into his story. Am I an, a willing or an unwilling participant in his work? Our third lesson comes from the people who don't even recognize that God's story is taking place. There are two of these groups of people in our passage this morning. And the first is the group of people who are sent out to kill all of the children. They don't see that God is sending them out, or that Herod is sending them out because Herod is rejecting God's work. And they don't see that God is protecting Jesus from Herod and from their hands. Because they don't see, they enact the evil that Herod has designed. The second group is the mothers of the children. They're going about their business raising young children when Herod's people arrive to take their sons. And they end up reliving the horror of the Israelite mothers in Egypt when Pharaoh also killed the children out of fear of the Israelites. This horror doesn't have to take place. God has given Herod opportunity to respond in faithfulness. And death is never God's desire. That is why Jesus has come after all. It's why he is the child in Bethlehem, so that he can deliver his people from death. And yet, Herod responds unfaithfully. And so, although neither Herod's people nor the mothers seem aware that God has arrived, that doesn't stop them from being a part of God's story. And we have to ask ourselves, am I aware of what God is doing in the world? Am I living my life without realizing that God's story is unfolding? Am I perpetuating evil or being affected by God's story unaware that I'm living in God's reality? Scene four of the Christmas story invites us into God's work in the world. As we relive that first Christmas, we're given examples of faithfulness to follow. Joseph, Mary, the Magi. And we're given examples of unfaithfulness to avoid in Herod and his men. And we are faced with questions of whether we are paying attention to God's work unfolding around us. Sixty years after this time, Paul will tell the church to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And we're given this invitation as well to imitate the faithful, to imitate Joseph, Mary, and the Magi as they follow God so that we also might know God as he has come into our world. The faithful aren't special. They're not really doing anything miraculous. They're simply attentive to the Lord and they're ready to obey when he speaks. Are we? Who in the Christmas story are we most like today? Who do we want to imitate 
and what in our lives needs to change.